Introducing Christianity to Mormons, a new book by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and published by Harvest House Publishers is a resource that'll help you share your faith with Latter-day Saint friends and loved ones. Order your copy of Introducing Christianity to Mormons at mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Our thanks to Adams Road Band for that musical introduction. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Do the Dead Sea Scrolls support teachings in Mormonism? That's what we've been talking about this week. And primarily, we are looking at the writings of three Mormon authors. Eugene Seich, who is the author of Mormonism, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the Nag Hammadi Text. Another book by Dennis K. Brown, titled Evidences of the Church, which was published in 2008. And also a book by Charles Abbott. Immersion in Mormonism, especially for new members and also teens and members who struggle. These three books give the Mormon reader the impression that the Dead Sea Scrolls talk about unique teachings in Mormonism. And so we've been looking at some of the claims that have been made, primarily five claims that Charles Abbott lists in his book that he gets from Dennis K. Brown's book. And we're comparing some of the comments by these authors with scholars such as Dr. Randall Price, who is a professor at Liberty University and also has directed the Center for Judaic Studies from the years 2010 to 2016. We're also going to Jody Magnus, who is a very well-known archaeologist, who wrote a book titled The Archaeology of Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls. These scholars do not agree with the conclusions made by these Mormon writers, and unfortunately, these Mormon writers and some of the claims that they make are things that we hear Mormons talking about on the streets. So obviously, these points are circulating, but they are not good points, and that's why we want to talk about this. Now, in yesterday's show, we left off talking about the third point of the five, and this is the one that had to do with the non-biblical Dead Sea Scroll text. And according to Dennis K. Brown, he says that it teaches that marriage and family go on into eternity. This is what he says. Brown writes, and I have to apologize because we're using the Kindle version, and one thing I can't stand about Kindle is they do not give you the page numbers that are parallel to the, to the hard copy text. So I, I offer my apologies up front. But Brown wrote, The scrolls have many references to eternal families and state that we will be sealed with our spouses and families in the hereafter. They state that our families will be our greatest joy in the eternities. No other church besides ours teaches this today. Now, Eric, he does not cite exactly where he draws that conclusion, does he? No. Uh, That's quite a statement for him to make. And if it doesn't say that, then... I I can only say shame on Dennis Brown for drawing such a conclusion on that. That's a lot of details he puts in that short little paragraph. But the fact is, even though he claims that the scrolls from Qumran 
talk about marriage and family and going on to eternity and all this, family was not really stressed by the Essenes who lived in Qumran. In fact, family was not a major issue at all. Well, one of the things that you can do if you want to learn more about this, we have it on our website, mrm.org slash Dead Sea Scroll Doctrine. Scroll is singular, and there are hyphens between Dead Sea Scroll Doctrine. Go, and you can see the things that we're citing here. And yesterday we cited from Jody Magnus, an archaeologist from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and she said the archaeological evidence suggests that the community at Qumran consisted of mostly adult men and that most of them would have been celibate. Magnus cites the Roman historian Josephus as saying that marriage was only for the propagation of the species. And then she also talks about the village cemetery where she had a chance to do some archaeological digging years ago. And she said that that cemetery suggests that women were present at Qumran, but it represented a disproportionately small part of the population. The complete absence of infants and children among the excavated burials in the western sector is striking given the high rate of infant and child mortality in antiquity. Despite the small size of the sample, this evidence suggests that the community of Qumran did not include families. So that would seem to be somewhat of a contradiction then. Why would they be emphasizing families as Mormons now emphasize families, if that's really the case? Why would they do that, but yet they don't live that out, whereas Mormons do tend to live that practice out? So I would find that to be an inconsistency. Now, in point number four, four of the five that we are examining, the question is, is does the non-biblical Dead Sea Scroll text refer to a future prophet that would bring the priesthood back. Now, you would think if the Dead Sea Scrolls talks about something like that, that would certainly be a connection between the Qumran community and the modern LDS community. Well, this is what Dennis K. Brown writes in his book, Evidences of the Church. He says, The scrolls mention a greater and a lesser priesthood, essentially the same as the Melchizedek priesthood and the Levitical or Aaronic priesthood. Those called the sons of Aaron administered the temporal affairs of the community of Qumran. Now, Eric... Do the scrolls really mention a Melchizedek priesthood? We find no mention of a Melchizedek priesthood in the Old Testament. We find no mention of a Melchizedek priesthood in the New Testament, except when a comparison is made between Jesus and the person of Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews. Do the Dead Sea Scrolls support this? No, not at all. And as a matter of fact, the Essenes did believe they had claim to the Levitical or the Aaronic priesthood. There's no doubt about that. And yet, at the same time, when you mention the Melchizedek priesthood, we don't see that in any of the Dead Sea Scrolls. But let's just be honest, we don't see that in the Bible. We don't see that in the Book of Mormon either. So none of these texts are going to support this idea that men at the age of 18 can receive this Melchizedek priesthood that supposedly was restored to Joseph Smith by Peter, James, and John. Now, the problem is that the Essenes did not have control of the Jerusalem temple. They only believed in one temple, and that was the Jerusalem temple. There's no evidence whatsoever that they were doing any temple ordinances or any secret handshakes or anything like that that is seeming to be referenced by the Mormon apologists that we're citing here. They did 
know about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they called them in contrast to themselves the sons of light. They called those guys sons of darkness. They didn't believe that they had what was necessary as far as the authority to be able to run the temple, and they looked forward to the day where they would be able to take possession of the temple and be able to reinstitute what they believed was true sacrifices and true worship. So basically, we do find a parallel. The Essenes thought that they were the only true believers, whereas the Mormons today feel that they are the only true believers. What we have here, folks, is there's no evidence that supports the notion that the Essenes in the community of Qumran were referencing any future prophet who would restore the priesthood. Certainly, there was no mention to anyone like Joseph Smith coming on the scene years down the road. Now, the fifth and final point that we want to bring up that these gentlemen talk about Do the non-biblical Dead Sea Scroll texts reference temple ordinances as necessary for eternal life? And again, we have Dennis K. Brown in his book, Evidences of the Church, giving this very detailed paragraph describing what he thinks are in the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is what he says. The scrolls talk extensively about temples. The temple was the center of life for the community. The scrolls mention the importance of a new name, key words, special garments, and an oath to keep the ceremony sacred, even at the peril of life itself. Now, first of all, Eric, when I read this paragraph, the first line stands out. The scrolls talk extensively about temples, plural. Right. Why would the Essenes do that? It doesn't seem to make any sense to me that they would be making a reference to more than one temple since the Jews recognized only one temple, and that was the temple in Jerusalem. And as you mentioned, they didn't really even have authority over that temple. They were not in charge of the temple ritual that went on, which of course at this time was merely the sacrificing of animals. Right. They felt that one day they would be in charge, but they weren't at that time. When Brown says the temple was the center of life for the community, he's switching now back to a singular temple. But when he goes on to say the scrolls mention the importance of a new name, key word, special garments, and an oath to keep the ceremony sacred even at the peril of life itself, does Brown give any quotations from the scrolls to support that? Well, that was what was really frustrating when I went through Brown's book as well as Abbott's because they don't give very much in the way of any kind of primary sources that would be easily accessible. I mean, several times he mentions Hugh Nimbley and notes that he took when he took a course at BYU. He mentioned cassette tapes that I have no way of getting, nothing outside the Mormon realm. So they're not going to the authoritative sources that we're trying to cite here in these articles to show what we're saying is actually scholarly and accurate. In an article that was printed in the February 2006 Ensign, it was titled The Dead Sea Scrolls and Latter-day Truth. Andrew Skinner, who was the Dean of Religious Education at BYU, he uh, basically talks about in this article, Cave 11, it yielded the longest scroll, the Temple Scroll. This scroll was 27 feet long, the longest scroll that was discovered in all 11 caves. It talks about the future temple. This is what Skinner said in this article. 
He said, we have no indication that the Qumran community regarded this ideal future temple as anything more than an Aaronic priesthood structure associated with the rites and rituals of the Mosaic law in a pure and uncorrupted form. The Qumran community believed that the Jerusalem temple was full of corruption. Well, if it's only talking about the rituals of the Mosaic Law in a pure and uncorrupted form, how can you draw the conclusion, as Dennis Brown has drawn, that somehow there was all this stuff unique to the Mormon Temple Endowment Ceremony? Now, you would think that Skinner, if he's familiar with the Temple Scroll, he would see that it didn't have all those unique details that Dennis Brown mentioned earlier. And he does mention the Aaronic Priesthood, which is what the people in Qumran would have felt they would have had to be able to run the temple, but it would not have been the same kind of Aaronic priesthood that Mormonism teaches, that 12-year-old boys would have been able to get this from any tribe whatsoever. It was very clear to have the Aaronic priesthood, you had to have come from the Levites, from the tribe of Aaron. And also, again, as we mentioned earlier, we have no reference at all of the Melchizedek priesthood, and this is brought out by Skinner. There's no Melchizedek priesthood being talked about in order to be able to have authority to run the temple. We certainly don't see anything where the scrolls mention new names, keywords, special garments, and an oath to keep the ceremony secret, even at the peril of life itself. And that's what Dennis Brown said. If it doesn't have all that in there, then how can you draw any parallel like that? That's what just puzzles me. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.